0: What's up, everybody? Today's episode of the Boyd Meets World podcast is a special one. My guest today is Shai Quinn Dix, who is a senior point guard for Bryant & Stratton College in Buffalo, New York. Shai just transferred there after two great seasons for the University of Maine-Presque Isle, but the fact that Shai is playing college basketball at all is kind of the story here. Four years ago, Shai was sentenced to four years with three years probation at Cheshire Correctional Institution in Connecticut. Shai is now not just out of prison— but is thriving academically and on the court. He is a testament to this innovative prison reform called the TRUE Program at Cheshire for 18 to 25-year-old offenders. TRUE stands for truthfulness to oneself, respectfulness towards the community, understanding ourselves and what brought us here, and elevating into success. TRUE is the brainchild of the Vera Institute of Justice, which seeks to re-envision the justice system in a more dignified way. The recent murders of unarmed black men and women have emphasized the need for a reimagining of our justice system to protect the lives of people of color. Shai's story and the work of the Vera Institute of Justice show how innovative solutions can lead to a more equitable justice system. I hope this podcast helps show what that reform can look like, especially for young men like Shai, who may have just made a mistake and, as you'll hear, can completely change their life if they're given the tools to do it. I encourage you to learn more about Shai's story and about True and about Vera you can find more about all of those, including links to Shy's appearance on 60 Minutes in the show notes. A huge shout out to Shy for taking the time multiple times to talk with me uh, for this podcast. And of course, thank you all for listening. Enjoy. So I'm here with uh, Shy Quinn Dix. Uh, Shai, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me.
1: Hey, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: For sure, man. I'm, I'm not quite uh, 60 minutes with the interview, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad that you can come down to my level and do the, the little stuff too. Uh, I'll start with how I, I, I first learned about you. And I was telling you this earlier that I'm listening to a podcast and Karan Butler is talking about uh, reform in, in, um, in the justice system. And he mentions your name as a story that, that people should know. And so I looked you up and I'm immediately just fascinated by everything you've been through. You've had a remarkable life, especially in the last few years. Uh, So let me just try and recap some of the big stuff that's happened to you in the last five years. And and you tell me if I missed anything. All right. Uh, You are sentenced to prison. You are in prison and then a brand new program opens up and that program helps you cut your sentence to start playing college basketball. Uh, You play two seasons of college basketball. You've been all conference twice, scored more than 1,000 points, been named team captain. Uh, I I don't think you're the tallest guy in the world, but somehow you lead your team with points, rebounds, and assists. Uh, (laughs) And and then off the court, you have made Dean's List multiple times. You've interned at the Vera Institute of Justice. They honor you at your gala. You've been on 60 Minutes. Uh, Did I miss anything in that?
1: Um, you pretty much got everything, you yeah. know, you got the base of everything. Yeah. I'm sure there's, there's a lot more. Did but... your, you definitely did your homework. <laughs> <man>. I, I... <laughs> hey,
0: I, you Google Shaquan Dixon. There's a lot that comes up uh, for good reason. Um, it, just thinking back to when you first get to prison and you look back and, and, and see that everything that has happened since then, did, did any of that feel possible to you when you first get to Cheshire?
1: Man, absolutely not, man. I would never, like, even to this day, like, like you said, it's been two years and it's, it's a lot of times I wake up and I just be, I catch myself just staring away like, yo, this, this is really happening. Like, cause I definitely didn't think none of this was going to happen. Even if you take away like the, the, the TVs and mm-hmm. the, 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 any of that social, uh, you know, like the, uh, the backlash from it, yeah. I didn't see myself changing. So even that, like, it's it's kind of in a weird way. Like, how how can prison change somebody? How can prison change some uh, save somebody's life? That's how I look at prison. Like, it was a good thing for me. Yeah, we'll talk
0: uh, more about how how prison in you know at first wasn't looking like it was gonna change you, and it was one experience, and it completely took a different direction once once True shows up, but. Uh, I want to start at the beginning because I think all the stuff that's been covered about you kind of starts basically when you get to prison. So I want to go backwards a little bit. Uh, I know, you know, you're the oldest of four, you're raised by a single mom in Connecticut. Uh, You talked about getting in trouble a little bit early on in your life and not having really any male role models or mentors who got you and understood what it was like for you growing up and seeing the hardships that you had seen. What was it like for you growing up in, in Stanford like that?
1: I mean, well, I actually moved around a lot. So I I lived in Stanford, but I also moved to um, Baltimore. I lived there for a little bit. I lived in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Then I moved back, like, probably when I was 14. But just, you know, like, growing up, sports always kept me out the way. But my mom worked a lot, and it was four of us. And being the oldest, I had to, you know, a lot of times I had to be, like, that male figure for my little brothers and little sisters. So... It was tough on me, like having to grow up. Felt like I didn't really have a childhood like that because I didn't have time to really like do child stuff. But Besides playing sports, I was just got to make sure I had everybody up ready for school. Got to you know, because my mom, you know, and it was tough at the times because playing sports, I was good, and my mom, she couldn't be there to see me shine in my my brightest moments because she worked so much. So mm-hmm. you know, I grew like a hatred towards my mom for the longest. For the longest Because I didn't As a kid You don't understand that Like your mom Or your parents Have to work In order for For them to provide for you You know You just look at it As like Dang like Am I not that important You know what I'm saying So it was tough So I ended up Finding that love And like My mom Don't get me wrong My mom She did her best Tried everything But she wasn't really there Because she worked Three two three jobs Like for years So you know Eventually You know Being You know In my environment I ended up like Getting that family type feel from the streets and just negative things that was going off around me kind of warped my mindset.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, she's the closest person to you, and she's really the only person you can you can feel angry towards, um, and you know, kind of she just becomes the the sponge to take up all the the anger you might have had elsewhere. Uh, when, when basketball comes in, so eventually you realize I'm pretty good. Like this 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 could hey. go somewhere. Uh, when was that that you thought, okay, basketball can be my thing, and I might have a future here?
1: So, um, like I said, I um, I I've, I've gone to some trouble when I was in Virginia Beach, and we moved back my ninth grade year, and I was on probation, and I met this coach, and he was also an AAU coach, like he had his own like team. And he basically just took me in and was just like, man, I, I want you to stay out of trouble. I can tell you a good kid. You just, you know, you just need somebody there for you. So as I, I had a lot of kids on my team that was already ranked and all, a couple of them went end up going D1. I got a couple of teammates that's, you know, playing overseas right now. And so they already, like, just me playing against them made me better every day. And then the coach would be telling me, like, yo, you know you good. Like, you – so I, I started to believe it, but I was still so, like, in the streets that at the same time, like I believed it, but I didn't believe it because I always felt like if you wasn't going through what I was going through, I don't care what color skin you are, where you, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't, that I didn't feel like you could understand how I was feeling, you know? Right, right.
0: So, so it it takes you a little bit far. I mean, after, after high school, you go to all the way to Nebraska, which Connecticut to Nebraska, man, that must've been interesting to, uh, to 23 hours away. Yeah. Uh, big culture shock to North Platte Community College you have a pretty good freshman year but you ultimately you decide to to leave college and to go back home um, so yeah. tell us what went into that decision to head
1: back to Connecticut I mean just like for one like a lot of my friends they looked at it as like oh you're going to a D1 juco or you're just going to college because people don't go to college like that where I'm from so mm-hmm. just being able to being able to just leave like that, like people thought I made it, but I knew mentally I was still home no matter how far I went, you know, like I was happy to play basketball, but I was still thinking about things that was going home. So I ended up having my first son while while I was a freshman mm-hmm. and um, my father himself, my father did 24 years in jail. So I just always grew up like, you know, I'm not going to be like him like you know, I'm going to be there for my kids. Like, no matter what, I got to sacrifice. sacrifice. So going into my sophomore year, I had a pretty decent freshman year. Um, I just ended up not re-signing my scholarship. Like, I ended up just saying, like, you know what, I'm going to stay home, get a job, and try to do this parenting thing because I was so far away, 23 hours. I just, you know, I thought I was making the right decision.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, that desire to be there for, you, for your child and to to – you know, right the wrongs of, of your own life in some part, does that lead you to get involved with the check fraud ring? And cause you're just trying to, you're just trying to do it. You're just trying to provide for them.
1: Yeah. I was, I was, you know, I, I, I'm not a kid who's going to walk around and shoot people and sell drugs. I was, that's not, I'm not that type of kid. Like, you know, a crime is a crime though. So I'm not justifying it either, but I, I, I met some older dude who was doing it, and I let him manipulate me into getting involved. And I started making a lot of money, and eventually it landed me in prison. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so so that, that sentence comes, uh, it's four years and three years probation, right, at, at Cheshire? Yeah. So you're in with the Gen Pop, right, gen, general population. Can you just describe what being in Gen Pop means and what your
1: life in prison now looks like? My general pop, that that's that's survival, Don't that's survival mode. That's like, you know, it's things that you learn. Like a lot of people knew who I was because of my father. So a lot of things I was able to be like, kind of like blessed and had a head start because people would put me on, like or like put me on the game. Soon as they see me, like, oh, I know you. Um, don't put your don't put your back to nobody. Always stand against the wall. Just like make sure you go in the shower. You got this with you. This with you. Yeah. Just stuff like that. You know, and. To some people, it may sound abnormal, but you gotta survive. So, even if you're not that type of person, this is what you gotta do to survive because people pick on the weak in here. So,
0: mm-hmm. and you come with a name, and so that makes you somewhat of a target in in a lot of ways too. So it's yeah. it's, it's twenty three and one, right? So twenty three hours a day, you are in a cell. Yeah. So I've 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 read a lot, and you even said it earlier. You talk about the word warped, and that was your mindset. So can you, what does, what does that mean to you? Like, what is, what does warped feel like when you look back at that, I mean, that, that shy versus now?
1: That, that shy was more like, I didn't know who I was. Like, I, I, I didn't have no desire for nothing. Um, I felt like I was incarcerated mentally before I ever got incarcerated physically. So that's what I mean by warp. Like I just blamed everybody for my mistakes and, you know, I, I, I didn't want to challenge myself and, I just uh I dis- I felt like what was happening was supposed to happen to me. Like I didn't realise until I went to jail that like well until I went to the true program that like, no, there's ways around this. You could be somebody, you are somebody and that's what I mean by work though. Just like just have my own like ignorant, negative thoughts about life and just as a whole, like
0: Yeah, I mean you you kinda think you're you're just in the passenger seat and life is gonna take you somewhere and And all of a sudden (laughs) you got to get over to the driver's seat and and it it happens for you in a few months after that, or, you know, so you, you get, you get to Cheshire, you're there for what, 13 months before true. Yeah. 13 months. 13 months. So all of a sudden you hear about a new program called true and it's for 18 to 25 year old offenders. How did you first hear about it? And when you hear heard about it, what did you think about it?
1: I mean, I heard about it. This, this the honest truth. When I heard about it, I wasn't ready to change still. Like, only yeah. reason why I wanted to go is because I heard that like I don't gotta be in my cell 23 hours a day. <laughs> that was my that's my honest truth, so excuse me. So um they did like an interview process and one of the wardens from where I was at, she uh she had approached me and was like, I think this is a great opportunity for you. Like, like I said, like even in prison, a lot of people like people notice. Like I'm big off energies. Like people know this when you were a good kid. Like so, I used to always yeah. get all the time. Like yo, what are you doing here? Like stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like it just. I that's I I, I don't. It, it was hard, man. It was hard. It was hard. It was hard. That was the bottom for me, definitely. But um, finding true was a big, the best thing that ever happened to me by far to this day. Yeah. So so
0: briefly, what what is what is true? How is it different from Gen Pop?
1: I mean, for one, like besides you not being in your cell all day, they just ran it like a college atmosphere. And like, like I said before, like I'm big off energy and like yeah. gel is a big, is, is like general, I want one, one difference between General Pop and True is just the energy alone. Like you could like I walked in a True my first day and I just was like blown away because everybody was like smiling, <laughs> happy, running around. I see correctional officers playing basketball with with the inmates. I see them playing cards and chess and scrabble. So I just kind of like what the what's going on here? Like so it was just different. Like everybody in there was just for you. Like I wasn't used to having so many people root for me in a positive way, you know? I'm used to people rooting for me to do negative things, like, you know, so just having these people who's in prison for one, like so you got that already and what I'm used to and you just seeing them like, man, we gon we gonna all do better. We gonna all lift each other up. Everybody got their shirt tucked in. The the staff is teaching us things that like simple stuff. Like I never knew how to put on a tie, none of that. I learned that in the true program. I learned like how to file taxes. I learned how to save money because they we had like the um currency system. They taught us how to pay bills in there. Mm-hmm. like and just how to conduct yourself in, in society. Because a lot of people like you know, they the the recidivism is real. Re- recidivism is the rate of when people go to prison, get out, and then go right back. And people always wonder why that happens, just because if you want somebody to act like a human being, you got to treat them like a human being. You can't treat them like an animal. That's how they're going to act. So that's what the true offer just like it made you feel like you was alive, like you know,
0: dignity, right? I mean, that's that seems to be the big word.
1: Absolutely
0: yeah so it's it, uh, true is is very different from from prison and it makes a lot of sense to me exactly what you just said of you know if if, if someone is, is is convicted of a crime the, the goal if if they go to, to to jail or to go to prison is is to have that not happen again and regular prison there's just no doesn't seem to be any emphasis on rehab and to 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 write that and i think one of the relationships, or one of the things that's, that's really striking with True, is the, the dynamic between the CEO, the correction officer, and the offender. And normally it is not a positive one, but as you described it, uh, it is true, it's, it's a positive one, and it's one where they are basically on the same team. Before, before you get to True, what did the idea of a CEO or a cop represent to you
1: in your head? Uh, just opposition. Yeah, like a gang. That's that's how I looked at them. They were just a gang with authority and power. That a lot of them abuse it. I've never seen correction officers spending people food for no reason and just do like you know take they. A lot of times you could tell a co probably having trouble at home with their wife or family or just having a bad day. These perfect people to take it on are the people mm-hmm. that you already think trash of. So that's how it took me a long time to finally even even at true to like. Give in to correctional officers because I still like, you know, like uh, I got to see their motive or you know, sign ain't right, you know. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, and one of the CEOs that that ends up having a really big role in your life is is James Vassar. and I, I saw you smile before I even started to finish the sentence.
1: That's my guy, man.
0: Uh, he uh, he plays a pretty big role in in your story. Um, I think one of the things that that maybe gets lost a little bit in sixty minutes or anything is it kind of might seem like you know he sees you play basketball, then he's like, okay, you know, this this kid is worth investing in. But it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that he was on you about true and doing the right thing before he ever saw you
1: play basketball, right? He never seen me, he didn't even see me play ball yet. Yeah. And I'm not the only kid that he was doing this with. That's what made me give in, because as soon as I came in there, he was just like, what's, what's up? I'm just like, I was getting my head and I walked past him. Next day, he's like, good morning. I looked at him, kept walking. But also seeing that he's doing that to everybody. So it wasn't just me. I just happened, you know, to have a different path than everybody else. So um he he even to this day, me and him like this, we talk every day, FaceTime, I need anything, any advice, I could call him at he's he's like that father I never had. Like and some people will never get that. You know, he calls and checks on my grades. It's bigger than just basketball. He wants me to win at like life in general, you know.
0: Yeah, he seems he seems like a really really good dude, and and what I appreciate about that is that I I used to teach, I taught uh, in New Bedford High School, so New Bedford, uh, kind of down by Providence in in southern Massachusetts, and uh, there's a there's a tendency with young men of color for teachers to you know th- the ones they're going to make it out are the are the athletes, you know those those are the ones you you spend your time thinking about is you know let's let's get him out because he. You know, he, he could play college football or he could play college basketball, but there's not enough focus on just men of color. Can they, can they just do what they want to do, right? Whatever it is, it's not sports; it's something else. Can we treat them as if they have the potential to be whatever they want to be? And that's that's what yeah, really exactly. cool about
1: Bastard, I thought. Exactly, you you said a key point you definitely. You know, well, a lot a lot of people like the way you're raised and what you what is perceived. Is that only you can make it as an African American, as an athlete, like a mm-hmm. male is like an athlete you know, or a rapper. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they don't, we don't see enough people that's like even doing what you're doing. We don't see that. I, I don't know none of my friends from in the past that wants to do podcasts. You know what I'm saying? But then you get around the right people that a lot of people want to do stuff like that. You know right. what I'm saying? So it's just, it's just all about your mindset and building it strong myself
0: yeah and exposure to people who you know are going to bring different ideas and and i think that's what was cool for for the true program is that you know it's not, now you have there's a life for you to prepare for after after you get out of here um so one of the things that, that you talked about at gen pop you know if, if if your girlfriend and your kids came and visited you uh there's a glass wall between you and and then at true if if the same thing happens they come you can hold your kids, and and you're you're yeah. next you're next to them, and 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 you're there for a long time. It's a long visit, you know. It, it's not it's not perfect. You wish you were there with them all the time. But what is that like? What's that that feeling when you can maintain somewhat of a real connection with your family, even though you're in prison?
1: Uh, it was just unreal. Like I know I keep saying that word a lot, but it's just <laughs> true. Like that's just. Um, just being able for me to hold my sons and just spend that hour and a half with them coloring or just talking. It, it made me feel like just for that, that little moment that I wasn't where I, where I really was, you know? So it, like the moments were so special to me because I still got to hold them and, you know, and it's not just a quick hug. I could hold them the whole time or hold my girlfriend the whole time. And it just helped build strong relationships and bonds that I didn't have that were weakened before I came to the true program.
0: Is is that I mean, given what you had said about about your father and you were you you all you wanted to do was not be that dad. You wanted to be there and to be to be incarcerated, to be in prison, and to still maintain that. I mean, that must have felt extra special.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because it that like in general pop, you don't do that. So that causes some people. Man, I realize that causes so much. Like you talk to somebody through a glass, like. And it's on a phone, so it's kind of like I don't know, like it, it kind of feels like they're still distant from you, you know, like like you're caged. Mm-hmm. So just having no family engagements was different. It's a lot, you know. I, I got to bring my notebook down there. Sometimes I will have my son draw something in there, and when I used to have my down moments and in the cell or whatever, I got something to look at.
0: That's uh, yeah. That's I couldn't even imagine how how. The, the, the difference in dignity from one to the other is, is so much better. Um, so James Vassar, in addition to, to pushing you in all kinds of directions, he's also hustling on the back end to try and figure out a situation for you to continue playing college basketball. And he connects you with uh, Dan Kane, who is the coach at University of Maine Presque Isle. Sure. What is your reaction when a college coach sh- shows up to Cheshire and – He's ser- he's serious and he wants to take a chance on you and there, there's a chance that you can still play college
1: basketball. Man, that feeling! <laughs> I'll definitely I remember like this yesterday. I have my back turned and then all my boys and start tapping me like yo yo because he walked in with the Umpy University of Prescott shirt on. They like yo, that's the coach. So I turned around and I seen him and I just I just remember tearing up like. You know, this is because you know, like people don't understand like this is the part 60 minutes didn't get like or, or nbc none of them like Vassar spoke all of this into existence i'm talking about every day like they'll come because i was corresponding with the coach for a little a little while mm-hmm. before he finally came probably like two three months but you know i'm used to people selling me dreams so even though i was talking to him i still didn't get get over my head i still like you know was working on myself still focusing on, but Vassar used to come by, he'll knock on my door, wake me up early, like, like I was in the dorms. He like, get up. He like, get up. Now you gonna be sleeping in the dorms like this? You supposed to be gonna get shots up or go work on your math or, you know, and I replayed that in my head every day. Even even sometimes like when I when I'm feeling down, like when I'm at school, I just think of Vassar if I can't call him because he might be at work. I just remembered certain things that he taught me like writing quotes, small things like writing quotes that I used to write in my cell. And I just look at it every day to keep me motivated and then each week change it out. So it's stuff like stuff that he taught me, I still do to this day.
0: So he's training you to be ready for when you're out for of there, life, you're still good. Yeah, exactly. You're still good. Uh, yeah, that's that's huge. Uh, I, eventually you go to the sentencing modification hearing. And uh, now that I think how it probably worked is correct me if I'm wrong that you can the it's conditional with the judge that because you have an offer to play at UMPI that uh, you know, it's, it's more reason to get you out of there. You've, you've had good behavior. You've done all that you need to do it at uh, true uh, and you're talking to the same judge who originally sentenced you for check fraud. What did you tell him that time when you, when you see
1: him again? Well, uh, I will just. I just remember telling him, thank you. And because I want to make this clear, like the whole time I'm gathering my stuff for the sentence modification, people, even some people just walking around saying like, yo, nobody ever gets a sentence modification. It's not happening, bro. Like, just stop. So I got this. And then like, just me, me seeing the same prosecutor and judge that just put me away for check fraud. I thank him because I told him, like, like yo, you say, you, you guys saved my life. And he just was like, he was blown away by, by me saying thank you and saying that. I told him you saved my life. And, you know, um, because when you got to send modification, it's not guaranteed. It's just a consideration. Even when you go in front of the judge, they still got to make a decision. You know, so I thank them before they even said yes or no, just because I wanted, just for him even listening and giving me the opportunity to even present myself in front of him meant a lot.
0: Yeah. When when I read that, you know, the the telling a judge, thank you for sending me to prison. It just, it doesn't, it's not how we <laughs> normally think of it, but I think it's a testament to true of, of you know, you're not saying thank you for sending me to gen pop. You're saying thank you for sending me to true because it, it changed my life. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so true. You talked about recidivism and I'm glad you did. Cause I was going to bring it up later. Uh, the, the numbers in the U S are, absurdly high, 68% of offenders are rearrested within two years, 83% are arrested within nine years. So within 10 mm-hmm. years, only 17% of people who have been to prison haven't been put in handcuffs Back. again, uh, which is just, it's, it, it, we're doing it wrong, if if that's the case. Uh, you talked about why, why it's so hard for, for people to adjust. Um, how, you know, you, you are, what, three years out at this point? No, Two. Two. Okay. So two years out at this point, how did you, how did you, and how have you, because it's, you know, it's an ongoing process, fight against those, those forces that, that are, you know, for lack of a better word, designed to get people right back into the
1: system. I mean, it's just going back to what I said about like recidivism. Like I've worked on myself while I was still in prison and I prepared myself for knowing how to uh, navigate around you know, negative energy and negative things. So by the by, when it came, when it came for me to go home, it was easy, it was second nature, mm-hmm. because I already, in my mind, I already was doing it while I was in prison. So just, just staying focused and having the right people around me being around love. And you know, it's, it's, I, I won't say it's easy, because I did I actually did say that it's hard, because you got to remember, like, Going, going back to where you came from, like, born and raised, you still got the same friends. You might have a sibling or, you know, you, so, so it is hard because now you got to go from being with these guys every day and especially when, like, you're on TV because then you got your friends thinking, like, oh, you better, you think you're better than us. So it, it has been hard, but I also lost a lot of friends, but I also realized that they were never my friends if you don't want the best for me and understand what I'm trying to do yeah and I'm you gotta start sure. you gotta
0: start saying no to people and and that's 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 a new new phenomena and I saw that that you have with your two younger brothers your experience in true has helped you kind of be a mentor for them as well
1: yeah absolutely like my my um the twenty one well he's twenty two now he was actually getting into a lot of trouble, and when I came home, he sent me a text one day. And it would, I told my mom, I, it was hard for me to not, like, I broke down because that's just, I felt like that's the one person I wanted to get to more than anybody because I set such a bad example for him and for him to tell me that he of me and him getting back into school and, because he, he's good, he's good in basketball. So, like, getting back into school and seeing him doing good now just meant the world to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it just motivated me to know that, like, I, I could do that for somebody, even if it's just my brother, to know that's like I can motivate people in the world that want to change and do better. Cause I always felt like if I could do it, anybody could do it. You know, I don't have right. the worst story, the worst life, but it's is I, I don't know. I just I just felt like I, I just motivated certain people.
0: So uh you know, sentencing hearing goes how how you want it. <laughs> you you get uh, the the reduction, and you are out of prison, and you are enrolled at UNPI. You're playing college basketball again. How did that feel? To to to, you're free. You are you are no longer in in Cheshire, and you're competing at a high level again.
1: I mean, I like I like I was saying, it felt it felt like like it wasn't real, like. <laughs> I just I just thought like yo like I went from prison to 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 college within a month and it's just like yo I I couldn't believe it I, like like I said to, still sometimes to this day I just wake up and it's like yo like really playing college basketball because I gave up on that dream at one point I didn't care anymore so for me to find that that love and you know because like I said it's always bigger than basketball that's why I try to be so you know keep my GPA on 3.8 higher. That's why, I, you know, I, I feel like that is – this story is way bigger than basketball. It's about, you know, motivation and, you know, always having hope and not giving up and no matter what you go through because everybody go through stuff, no matter where you come from or what skin color you is, you, everybody go through stuff. And, you know, I just wanted to be a testimony of what, what it takes to uh, not give up Sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You are definitely that, um, you know, no matter your situation, I think people can look at your story and find some reason to to better themselves and to change themselves to, to, uh, accomplish what they want to do. Uh, do. Do you just feel more like grateful just of, of every moment that you have? That is just, you're out like this, this is ev- everything now is just, you're on house money.
1: Absolutely because being in prison I, I i got to feel what the bottom feels like and right. one thing that I like kept kept me pushing the whole time was just like i never wanted to let myself be incarcerated here you know so this is the like men, mentally i worked on that and strengthened my mind by reading and talking to great people and just listening and that's what helped me to this day like you know just working on like my mentality Having a strong that Mamba mentality, like Kobe <laughs> Bryant, say.
0: Were you a Kobe fan?
1: Uh, I wasn't the biggest Kobe fan because I liked LeBron. So you could, and Allen Iverson, Kobe beat AI for the only championship he could have had. So, I, 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 not really.
0: Never forget that game one that that AI had in LA though, where he steps over Lou. Oh
1: you <laughs> yeah. never take that away from him. I thought it. I thought it was. <laughs> AI didn't have AI
0: didn't have much help back then. Yeah, 35- Mat- old Matumbo against Shaq was was a, was a problem. Yeah, yeah,
1: Shaq was just too much back then. It was not you could do a
0: lot it. Yeah, for real. Um, so I want to connect your story to to current events and and uh, the 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 murder of George Floyd. You know, uncovered what what? Okay, what, why were the police there in the first place? And it was it was counterfeit money. And you know, the idea there is we don't even know how, how that $20 bill ends up in, in George Floyd's hands, but assuming, you know, he knew it was a $20 a, a, a counterfeit bill. The idea is he's just trying to to make ends meet, get a sandwich just to, to keep going with his life and do what he needs to do. We talked about your charge, you know, it's the same type thing. You're trying to provide for your family, keep, keep moving. When you heard about what happened to George Floyd, did you, did you think about that, that idea of, of, you know, that could have been me or, or, he and I were in, in similar shoes and, and just the way the situation goes, you know, that's not too dissimilar from, from my story.
1: Oh, uh, no, absolutely. And, um, just, just as, just for me being like a black male and yeah. this uh, America right now, you always going to feel like and think and, 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 and look at it as if like that could have been me or what would, what could I have done if I was in that position? To not get killed, you know, because it's a real like touchy subject, and um, it's causing a lot of friction in the world. And just see the way like how how it's affecting everybody, because I I do believe it has an effect on everybody, no matter your race or you know sex or whatever. It is. You can see it like just walking around, and it, it's, it's, it's it's crazy. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean the the experience as a, as a black man is something that that I can't possibly envision, you know, like if I get pulled over, my first thought is how can I get out of this ticket? You know, it's 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 I'm not I'm not thinking in the same way that that you or another black person would have to think. Can you talk and try and help us understand that that mentality of how how different it would be for a, a person of color to get pulled over versus a, a person who's who's
1: privileged and and doesn't have to worry about those type of things. I mean, like to be honest, like growing up uh, as an African American male, like you're you're taught as a young as a young man, like like it's like from day one, like you don't you don't interact with the police. They you, they're always so like me growing up, I always ha- looked at them as like another gang or opposition and. So it had to grow me to like give police officers a chance as human beings because I do have to you do have to look at them still as human beings. But you know, George Floyd wasn't the first person that the first African American male to get killed. So it's like I've been watching this my whole life. I lost friends and I lost a friend recently because of police um, brutality, and I feel like a lot of things could be avoided. And just a uh, you know, it's just all about communication and like I said before, your mindset. So like when you um when you when you know that you're up to no good and you feel like you're you um are about to get in trouble for it, like your mind like automatically switches to the survival mode. Like so it's just as African American male, we, we grow up in survival mode already. Like we feel like everybody's against us, the world's against us and it's, it they society leaves it leaves it up to us to help change that mindset to learn how to get over barriers and unfortunately committing crimes and police like not associating yourself with police that's something that you're just installing you as a as a little kid it sucks but it's true Mm -hmm. so with true do you think it's something that
0: could be and should be at prisons across the country
1: i mean absolutely because like it's 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 a simple method but it's, it's 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 real like it's authentic like just treating people as human beings and actually giving somebody a chance mm-hmm. who probably never had a chance because i when i talk to a lot of people like that's involved in like prison reform and stuff like that they always say like second chances like a lot of people said that to some, like me and i'll be like and it's just like some people never had a chance from the beginning you know and not to use that as an excuse or anything but it's just. Like I said, what you're taught in the house means everything. Like, and growing up, a lot of us aren't taught to have strong mindsets. It sucks. Like, but it's true. So, the the true program getting installed and like just reentry—that's that's 'cause that's where it starts. Like, you want to stop people from, you know, re recommitting crimes and coming back to jail. You have to. It starts in jail, in prison. Like, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. While, while you have them, how do we make sure this never happens again? Um, so, so Vera, right. Vera Institute of Justice is, is what gave birth the idea of, of the true program. Uh, they do lots of other things to to renovate the justice system. You've interned with them. That's why I know your story is because Karan Butler was talking about them uh, and you, because he's on their board of trustees. So what kinds of things did you do with Vera and what did you learn from their work?
1: Well, I met for one, I met some great people who I consider as mentors to me now and friends and but um you know, um I was involved in a couple speaking engagements and projects as far as like everything is all about like reimagining prison. So, um like right now I'm working on a project where um I had due to the coronavirus I couldn't do it in person, but like I did like an interview from a guy from like Australia and he just asked me questions about like reentry and what does prison look like what's true and like in other prisons um what would I say to a, another uh convict or a, a inmate or a mentee or a mentor or a warden anybody that's involved in the prison system I'm just right now I'm just learning how to like how to fight for something I believe in that's the main thing I work for uh, I learned from Vera is just how to go about it and putting myself in a position to help others about things that I'm passionate about too, you know, so. Yeah, that's, that's
0: big stuff. And, and I think, you know, you, you've chosen to major in social work. You've said over and over that you want your store to be bigger than basketball. So you are, you are well on your way. Um You know, you're heading into that senior year, senior season, senior year academically. Uh You know, broadly what's, what's next for you? What do, what do you want to do on the court, off the court, um, you know, what's what's the next chapter in Shy Dix's
1: life? I mean, besides basketball, because I, I do have dreams of playing basketball uh, after college, and I do believe it's going to work out as far as, like, me going playing overseas or something. And – um, but even while I'm doing that, like, there's things that I've been doing in my community with other nonprofit organizations. Like, um, I build, like, two basketball courts out here uh, because I live in a city where it's, like – it's very, like, it's very unified out here, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it, they don't have a lot of issues too much because of, it's, it's a lot of money out here in, in Stanford, Connecticut. Um, so like, a lot of things are getting, so a lot of old neighborhoods that I see growing up, like, are getting knocked down and, you know, they're putting a lot of expensive things in there and like gentrification is like huge out here. And I just came all just trying to brainstorm ideas to bring everybody together instead of pushing everybody away, you know? So I, I helped build a basketball court and uh, I put like a skateboard ramp there and a soccer field and it actually ended up getting some publication and like the news and people came and just doing stuff like that, community stuff. Like I like to look at myself as a community advocate, you know, somebody that younger kids mostly can, um, regardless of race, can reach out to for like mentorship or somebody, just somebody to talk to. Of course still working for Vera of course but eventually I want to start my own nonprofit that's, that's really my main goal.
0: Yeah that's huge and, and your story is a great one to to ride on on that and to to inspire people to you know get behind you whatever you want to do because you know anyone who looks at your story and sees how far you've come I think uh, you know you're an easy person to believe in um, So tell the world first of all how, how they can follow you on social make sure that they keep up with your story
1: um well my my instagram is at show off shy so show as in s h o w s h y and then my twitter is shy s h y d i x two o three and that's how i mostly post my daily things up there whenever i'm i am up there, like my current projects and stuff like that
0: perfect yeah i'll be tuning in for sure to see what's next for you uh Thank you again for doing this. You, t- you came on a couple times to, to make this work. Uh, your story is an amazing one. I appreciate you taking the time. Good luck in your next step. Good luck with your family. Keep doing amazing things, my man.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate it. You're doing great things too, man. I'm, I'm gonna stay tuned and make sure I keep up with you as well.
0: Let's do it. All right, man. Uh, be well and uh, let's talk soon.